Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Undivided. And this episode of Undivided is brought to you by Audible.com. That's Audible.com, the world's leader in spoken audio, audiobooks, online periodicals and speeches for all things spoken audio. It's Audible.com. Head on over to Audible.com after our show this evening and go to the drop-down menu box and type in Life Coach Radio Network for a chance to enter a prize for a 30-day free trial of audible.com that's audible.com the sponsor of our program undivided here on the life coach radio network and welcome into everyone to undivided episode number 38 veterans of the workforce with art maloney i'm your host frank j maduri and welcome into our program we are live here at 7 p.m on the east coast i'm in new jersey here on january the 16th 2019 and before i get going here on this very important show tonight on a very serious topic. Uh, my thoughts and prayers are with the servicemen that were killed today and were injured today in the bombing in Syria, of which uh, ISIS has apparently taken responsibility for. And I'm dedicating this show to them and to all veterans that have served our great country. Veterans, as you know, have been um, uh, very sort of very close to me. The love of my country is something that's been well-established on this program, and the uh, concept of America has been discussed often on this program, and the two Fourth of July programs, episodes that have run during the course of the Undivided episode series run are all that you need to know about my thoughts about this great country. First, the disclaimer for tonight's program. The views of Undivided episode number 38, Veterans of the Workforce with Art Maloney, may not necessarily be the views of myself as host, Frank J. Maduri, my guest this evening, the aforementioned Art Maloney, and may not necessarily be the views of the Life Coach Radio Network. And now that we've moved beyond the disclaimer, tonight we're going to be discussing Veterans in the Workforce. And it's a a very uh, dear topic to me. As many of you know, I've had family members serve in the military and serve in combat. And it's a very important topic as they try to transfer into and transition into civilian life. They've given up so much, our veterans, and yet they struggle with that transition so often into civilian life. And the preconceptions and perceptions and misconceptions about veterans are going to be discussed this evening. The veterans have been potentially passed over for work. Uh, veterans have some great attributes, and military service members have great attributes to bring to the workforce. They follow orders, they have good leadership qualities, and they're physically fit and active and able to take on a workload if that's what the job required from a physical standpoint. In December of 18, the Department of Labor and Statistics put out their most recent numbers, the veteran unemployment rate is 3.2%, which is the lowest it's been in about two decades. However, when you break down those numbers, you know, 59% of the veterans employed are ages 25 to 54, 37% are over the age of 55, and just 4% of the veterans between 18 and 24 years old are employed at this point. So that's an area that Art and I are going to discuss this evening as some of the younger veterans and some of the veterans with different skill sets or has a statement he wants to read after I introduce him here in a moment. 
the workforce, workforce participation, excuse me, in veterans have a gap. Uh, veterans of 49% participation rate versus 63% for the general population. However, some of that is to do with older veterans that have aged out of the workforce. The real challenge is getting jobs that will match the skill sets of the veteran. And that's something that we're going to talk about both in the divide segment and in other segments of our program this evening with our very special guest, Art Maloney. Art is a combat Marine Corps veteran in the Vietnam War who is now an volunteer employment advisor with the Veteran Administration, Veterans Administration, excuse me, assisting veterans in all facets of finding employment in Monmouth County here in New Jersey. Mr. Maloney earned a BA from Rutgers and an MA from Seton Hall University in Chinese Studies and spent 40 years in the fragrance industry, mostly with IFF. While at IFF, he held positions in Singapore, Hong Kong, and London, and was the first IFF manager in China. He enjoys cycling, swimming, golf, and being with his three grandchildren, has been married to his wife, Carol, for 43 years. We're really blessed to have Art on the program. I'm going to get him up now. Art Maloney, welcome to Undivided. Yes, good evening, Frank. Can you hear me well? I can, likewise. All right, yes, yes. I'm, I'm delighted to be here, and thank you very much for that introduction and, um, and for giving me the opportunity to speak about veterans' employment issues uh, with the public. Um, uh, first of all, again, I'm grateful to you, Frank, for um, letting me be a part of this uh, podcast uh, this is my first podcast, and I'm delighted that uh, the subject is one near and dear to my heart um, as a Marine Corps veteran. Um, one of the reasons why I enjoy this endeavor so much in retirement is because I really benefited from being in the military, and I think I've had a reasonably uh, good life. And so in retirement, I would like to help those veterans who um, had less success than I did um, during the course of their lifetime. And that's why I enjoy what I'm doing so very much. So I, one of our objectives uh, in terms of um, having an increased amount of veterans be employed is that we want to maintain a very high visibility of veterans' employment um, with the general public. And so tonight, this is a wonderful example for me to use that to speak to the general public about veterans' employment issues. Um, However, before we begin with our discussion, I think it's very important for me to mention that, to preface my remarks and advise the audience that my comments are not indicative of all veterans seeking employment. My world of veterans are those who are struggling to secure employment and have called on into me uh, and our county's veterans offices asking for help. So my comments are about this small, struggling part of the veterans' population, not the vast majority of vets who learned a well-defined skill set in the military and easily leveraged those skills into a civilian job. So my answers are going to be couched in terms of the vets who are looking for work, who have had difficulty looking for work, and who have called and asked for uh, some assistance, and whenever they call into one of the three vet centers with which I work, they're referred to for me if they have employment concerns. So with that, I'll uh, allow you, you to be begin our discussion. 
Axel, that's a very important distinction to make, too, so I'm glad that we put that out up front. Now we enter the segment called the Divide segment, which is always the first segment in our program. And in, in speaking with others about this topic, the Veterans in the Workforce topic, it became clear to me that a misconception existed in, or exists currently regarding military veterans in the workforce, and that centered around them being, quote, unquote, passed over for jobs. And that's something that I really struggled with and really felt and some others that I spoke with prior to coming on air felt as well. However, in my discussions with Art, Art has a different view of that perception through his experience. Uh, could you explain that further for the audience? Yes, uh, gladly, Frank. Um, I don't think that being passed over is, is really the issue with veterans. On the contrary, today there uh, is an overwhelming uh, goodwill in the workplace for um, companies to hire veterans. Since the economy has gotten so much stronger over the past few years, there now are many more jobs available than there are veterans looking for work. You know, when I started this endeavor five or six years ago, in Monmouth County alone, there were in excess of 100,000 unemployed veterans. So if you multiply that across 25 counties in New Jersey, across 50 states, you can calculate how serious the unemployment issue was with veterans. However, today, there are fewer than 50 5-0 unemployed vets in Monmouth County. So that in itself is very good. However, there's no shortage of unemployed vets who are seeking help and support and that's why I enjoy what I'm doing um, so very, very much. Um, the, 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 the critical piece here is that the vets who need help in securing employment are those whose skills which they learned in the military, but those skills are not easily transferable to civilian life. Some of those skills might be carrying a flamethrower, um, being a machine gunner, a sniper, combat engineer, one who uh, explodes ordnance, artillery, a forward observer, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there are no civilian equivalents for these jobs. And so it's very, very complicated for veterans who have these particularly dangerous jobs in the military to easily transition to a civilian equivalent job. And it's those vets who fortunately call on us to offer some support. And for those vets, it requires a very, very long period of time for us to unearth the difficulties that they've had in seeking employment and then to teach them the ropes in terms of the job search process. It's certainly a, a big area. The transferable skills is a, a big component of, of our discussion tonight. Uh, and it's great that you could be a resource and that there is a resource that exists for those veterans out there. And it's great that we can bring some insight to that. There seems there, that there is a divide uh, which exists along socioeconomic lines as well. Differences in upbringing, education, all of that within military veterans. How do those factors impact their level of readiness for the transition to the workforce or into civilian life? 
Well, this is a critically important problem for 90% of the vets with whom I work, most of whom uh, were in the enlisted ranks in the military. And I can empathize with um, veterans who are from the, uh, from the enlisted ranks because I was an enlisted man when I was in the Marine Corps in Vietnam. And most of the men in my squad and in my platoon were men from low, the lower levels of our society, men who did not have, um, not come from homes where there was a lot of income, where there was much education, and quite frankly, when there was um, a lack of really strong social family fabric within their nuclear family. Um, a large percentage of these men and women chose the military not for altruistic reasons, but because they didn't have too many other viable alternatives. So when they get out of the military, they return to that same neighborhood and that family, and there isn't a strong support network to help them uh, with this uh, difficult transition period. However, all veterans are instructed in their transition course when leaving the military, that if they have any questions or difficulty in civilian life, the first place they should call is the local veteran service office because there is a veteran service office in every major county in the United States. And that's one of the many important uh, issues that are covered while they're still in the military is that when you get out of the military, if you have any questions whatsoever, first call the Veteran Service Office because if they can't answer your questions immediately, they can refer you to a number of services in the county, teams that can help you with your issues, teams who can help you with things like PTSD or uh, substance abuse counseling, general health issues, home loan assistance, education, and lastly, where I come in, employment assistance. That's wonderful. PTSD is such a huge issue, especially in the recent Iraq and Afghanistan campaigns and some of the young men and women serving in those areas and also in Syria. And coming back, you know, from urban warfare is, you know, seems to be a little more complicated than some of the other conflicts in which uh, we have seen in recent years. Uh, where these men and women have come back from military service. And certainly the, the uh, dynamic has changed. You know, I met a Vietnam veteran yesterday, and he was saying that when he came back that, you know, people spit on him and threw things at him and things of that nature. And I was just, I had heard those stories uh, from my uncle who served in uh, Vietnam and uh, from some other relatives. And, it's just really upsetting that that, you know, was the case in America at one point and how they treated our veterans returning from war. We're 15 minutes into our program at 715. We're going to take a slight pause here on undivided episode number 38, Veterans of the Workforce with Art Maloney. will be back in a moment here. But first, some upcoming show promotions for you on the networks of Life Coach Radio. Replenish Me, Replenish Me, Cordelia Gaffar. Cordelia Gaffar is the host of that show. Wednesday, January 23rd, one week from tonight, is her new episode live at 7 p.m. Eastern on the Life Coach Radio Network. Her last program was all about the uh, women in business, the Outer Sisterhood program. 
which uh, received a, a lot of great feedback through the network and through uh, the listener base for network. So please check out Cordelia's new show next week, one week from tonight, Wednesday, January 23rd, Replenish Me with Cordelia Gaffar, 7 p.m. Eastern Live on the Life Coach Radio Network. Audible.com is our sponsor. And let's raise some money tonight. Catholic Charities, 800 919 That's Catholic Charities, 800-919-9338, www.salvationarmy.org. Enter your zip code to donate to the your local community or enter the poorest zip code in your state by Googling that and donate to them, to the Salvation Army. And we're back here on Undivided, episode number 38, Veterans of the Workforce. Frank J. Maduri, your host, Art Maloney along with us. So, Art, we were talking about, you know, some of the barriers that face veterans, uh, both in the past and, and now today. What are the barriers facing veterans who are entering the workforce currently? Well, um, there is one, one primary one that I'd like to bring to everyone's attention. Uh, most of the vets with whom I work, again, who are from the enlisted ranks in the military, went into the military fresh out of high school. So during the next four to six years, between the ages of 18 and 24, all of their needs are taken care of by the military. For example, their food, clothing, housing, transportation, their paycheck, etc., is all taken care of by the military. Now, between the ages of 18 and 24, these are the formative uh, adulthood years when we grow into young adults. Um, now, if if the people who went into the military were to have stayed in civilian life, they would have gained more adult responsibilities, including learning to live independently. If we all recall what we were like between the ages of 18 and 24, if we were not in the military, we realized that our parents would gradually loosen their hold on us, and we would eventually learn how to uh, um, manage our budget, perhaps control a checkbook, own a car, um, and basically learn to live a little more independently year after year, so that by mid-20s we were ready to roll. This does not happen to people who go into the military. When they go into the military, they're as dependent on the military as they were with their nuclear family growing up. So when they get back to the neighborhood in their mid-20s, their neighborhood may have changed, they haven't changed at all. And this is when they begin to realize that they need some transition guidance. And hopefully that's when they call the Veterans Service Office. Now, um, to be candid, all branches of the military now have a six to nine month transition training program where um, active military who are getting out of the military in six to nine months are given extensive training on Um, how to get back into civilian life. But I find with the veterans with whom I work um, that this is not sufficient. And they're really languishing um, back in the neighborhood. And it gets very dangerous if the vet is not able to, to locate employment really quickly because, well, then there's nothing to do around the house. And they start to spend their savings and if they don't get a job for three to four or five months, 
Well, then perhaps they might start to take an extra drink or they might meet up with some people who are a little drug friendly. And that's when um, the fall might become precipitous. So that's the job of the veteran service office to help vets who call in and say, listen, I need some help and I need to find a job. And is there someone there who can help me find a job? And that's when I'm pleased to say that they're referred to me and I begin the process of teaching them the job, the job uh, search endeavor, and hopefully within a short period of time, um, get some gainful, uh, get them some gainful unemployment. That's a wonderful service to be able to provide people that do so much for us, the military service members that have you know, given their. Uh, put themselves in harm's way and given so much to this country to get that back. That's, it's wonderful to be able to do that and, and to, to be able to, to lift some uh, awareness, raise some awareness on that tonight. Uh, there have been changes in the workforce. You and I have discussed that offline and the changes in the workforce and the changes to the landscape of industry in America, which is a, something we've talked about on, on this show in prior episodes uh, the unemployment episode, the unemployment divide episode, and some other ones. Specifically, the shift in America from a manufacturing and production-based economy to a service-based economy. Does that help or hurt veterans in the job search? So that's the first part of this two-part question. So does that shift help or hurt veterans, and does this shift have little to no impact on the process? Uh, that's a good question. I don't feel that our country's shift to a service-based economy has any real effect on veterans exiting the military today. The reason for this is that um, since I was in the Marine Corps 50 years ago, there is now a diverse palette of occupations available to the military person personnel. Many of which, many of these occupations mimic those developing in the civilian world. I mean, one of a myriad of examples of this is cybersecurity. I met, I recently met a, an Air Force veteran whose specialty was cybersecurity while he was in four years in the uh, Air Force. He got 60 college credits in cybersecurity and was able to transfer all 60 of those to a four-year college, and now he only has 30 credits left to get his college degree in cybersecurity, and he's going to have a job for the rest of his life. So that's one of a myriad of, uh, uh, of um, new service-related occupations that are now being taught to our military. So I don't really think that that's an issue for most of the people in the, in the military. However, for the sub-segment of the vets with whom I work, basically the ones who were in the in industry in the infantry, excuse me, or had blue-collar job training, I don't believe these people are going to be affected by the services-based economy. Blue-collar military jobs would be construction equipment operator, truck driver, jet mechanic, nuclear operator, etc. And there are equivalent jobs to these um, in the civilian world. And quite frankly, I've had an easier time of it when um, veterans have these blue-collar type jobs because there are an increasing amount of these jobs now that the economy is coming back. Um, it's the vets who had 
those softer skills, the ones I talked about, they might have been infantry or infantry related, that don't have a counterpart in civilian life. So no, I would not say that the change to a service-based economy really has affected um, those, those veterans getting out of the military. It's great to hear that the economy is coming back and that there's opportunities for people that have different skill sets. Uh, because at one point, uh, I was reading some articles about the economic downturn in, in 07, 08, where there was uh, a high number of unemployed vets, close to 10%. And a lot of those jobs were non-existent and other jobs were as well. And it was just hard to, to find a fit and to get those positions, uh, those veterans matched up with positions to fill. Um, in your experience, and thank you for sharing your insight on that, uh, is there a gap between the employer's perception of hiring military veterans compared to the general public's view of hiring veterans, as I've alluded to in the uh, intro to the show and conversations I've had with other people, colleagues of mine? Has it changed over time? Uh, is another thing I was curious about. And, and then lastly, is there a difference between large companies hiring veterans and the approach of small businesses in hiring veterans? So I know it's, it's a long question. I could break it down. How about we start with the perception uh, versus the general public's view of hiring veterans? Okay. Well, I've divided my response in, in, into two parts. So we're talking along the same lines. Um, so regarding um, the general public's opinion, I think the general public is disconnected with veterans affairs unless they have a relative or a close friend in the military. And you know, that's like one half of 1% of the, of the population. The general public pays lip service to um, being thankful for veterans. And you know, you hear the phrase, um, thank you for your service. But those of us who are on the receiving end of that very often that just sounds kind of empty. It's just a, a comment that's made off the cuff. Um, now it's better than nothing, don't misunderstand me, but um, I think the general public feels that the umbrella concept of taking care of veterans is a very good thing. But they very seldom drill down into the specifics of helping, of how we help veterans. And in, in my particular case, what are the veterans' employment uh, issues, and how difficult is it for some of these struggling vets to find a job? Now, employers in general take a very positive and aggressive position in hiring veterans for two reasons. First, the first reason is that um, a well-trained uh, veteran will be a solid asset to that company's workplace and workforce. They're disciplined, smart, and able to get along with everyone. They learned in the military how to get along. And one of the first things you learn in the military is you better depend on the person next to you, or if you wind up in a combat theater, um, you could wind up being killed unless you depend on the two people to your left and to your right. Secondly, um, it's very good for advertising for the major corporations uh, to put forward um, in front of the public that they are keen on hiring vets. And so you'll see in a lot of major advertisers, you know who's very good at this? Well, because they have a very active veteran recruiting program is Procter & Gamble. Um, 
And so a lot of their TV advertising and even on their product labels will say, uh, veteran-friendly, we hire veterans, call this number if you want to work for Procter & Gamble. Um, and there is, Obama started a program called the uh, uh, President's Top 50 Veterans Employers. And at the top of the list is Johnson & Johnson. Um, and one of the reasons for that is the J&J &J chairman is a former Army Ranger, and uh, he and the likes of Procter & Gamble and many other major corporations were working with President Obama um, to actively hire vets. I don't know whether that program has continued over with the current president. I haven't heard it. But, um, again, uh, companies uh, very much want to hire vets because veterans are very strong workers, very capable, and also it looks very good for that company's advertising. Now, secondly, the difference between large and small companies hiring is that bigger companies naturally offer many more job opportunities, but the downside is that their hiring bureaucracy can take a very, very long time from the date of application to the first date of employment. Conversely, the smaller company's hiring process is much less complicated and tends to move much faster because they are leaner um, with a smaller HR uh, 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 an H with a smaller HR group and a smaller uh, HR bureaucracy. So. We strive to have strong relations with companies, both large and small, because the larger ones afford us many more job opportunities. The smaller ones afford us a much quicker turnaround time. What a great answer. Thank you so much for explaining that and shedding some insight on those differences between the general public's perception and also the differences in how that has changed over time, different corporations that embrace uh, hiring veterans. Uh, when I worked in the nonprofit segment, I shared that on this show in, in the past. Uh, I used to utilize some of those same type of strategies to get donations of my, uh, my primary purpose was to get donations of medication and supplies for developing world countries. And uh, I was speaking actually with my wife about it last night. Uh, something came up and we were talking about that job. And I was saying that you know, oftentimes I got them to do it for how it would look for them. So like you were saying, from the advertising perspective, the public perception, public relations, I would offer to even write them a short article for their quarterly report or for the stockholders. Look at how this is great this is going to look for you all that you uh, donated to our organization. So there is a, a, a definite component of that that goes on within uh, corporate structures where it's good for, you know, the public perception of the company as well, as well as it's great for the veteran to have a job. We're right on 7.30. Art should do this. He's a pro. It's his first uh, podcast. We're right on 7.30. Midpoint of the show break. We'll be back in a minute. Veterans of the Workforce, Episode 30 of Undivided. We'll take a short break. Some upcoming show promotions here at 7.31 on the East Coast. Free the hamster. Free the hamster. Harry Pritchett's new show, Thursday, January 24th. That's a week from tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Eastern. That's a live show here on the Life Coach Radio Network. If the name sounds uh, confusing or interesting to you, the hamster on the wheel, Harry talks about 
being trapped or stuck in your job or in your current situation and how you can get free, free the hamster, get free of that wheel. It's a career transition show. It focuses on getting people thinking about maybe some other opportunities they may have or how to use their skills in a different way. Harry is a very dynamic host. It's a new series. He's a couple of episodes in. That's Free the Hamster, Harry Pritchett, Thursday, January 24th, 7 p.m. Eastern live on the Life Coach Radio Network. And Erica Wiederlight, that's Erica Wiederlight. We all remember her. She was had a long-running show on the network, took a hiatus, and has been back for a couple months now. Mondays twice a month, two times a month, Mondays live, 11.30 a.m. on the Life Coach chat channel. Check the calendar on the website, on Life Coach chat channel's website, for her production schedule for 2019. Erica Wiederlight, Mondays twice a month. Live at 11.30 a.m. on the Life Coach chat channel. And go to her website, which is wedelight.com, which I've always really thought was a cool play on her last name. And speaking of being light and light in the darkness, if you are someone that you know or love, and especially when you think about veterans and the rate of veterans' suicide rates are very, very high, unfortunately. If you are someone that you know or love has been struggling with something, if you are a veteran or if someone in your family is and they are struggling with something that may have happened overseas in a combat theater, it may have happened during their service time, or if you are someone that you know or love is, is struggling as a family member of a veteran and you've contemplated harming yourself, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. That's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 800-273-8255. That's 800-273-8255. They would like to remind you that you matter, that all life is precious, and every life has been endowed by God. Please call the number. It's not worth it. Life gets better. We'll get, get you connected. We'll get you a job. We'll get you a life purpose. If you're a veteran that's struggling with that transition, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 800-273-8255. And the VFW, the Veterans of Foreign Wars Foundation, the VFW, located in Kansas City, www.vfw.org, 816-756-3390. That's the VFW, 816-756-3390. And we're back here on Undivided as we go to the Bridging of the Divide segment, which is the next segment of our program. I'm going to open the phone lines now, 646 646- 716-9397. Again, the number is 646-716-9397 if you have a question for Art or myself on this topic. And you could also email us at undividedshow, that's undividedshow at gmail.com, or you can direct message me on Twitter at fmaduri, at F-M-A-D-U-R-I, if you would like to do it that way and get your question in front of us. So, Art, before we went to the midpoint of the show break, as we're back here on our program, some different perceptions and the hiring practices of different companies. How do we bridge a divide between the misconceptions around veterans being passed over for jobs, which we've clarified along the way here, employers' perception of hiring vets, the knowledge gap in job etiquette and preparedness skills, and the loss of the formative years, which is so critical, those formative years for decision-making development in order to help veterans better acclimate to life in the civilian workplace. 
my and our relationship with, particularly with the larger employers, where we can score a higher win rate than with the smaller employers, is as follows. I'd like to explain this to you, to you and to the public. Um, in order to ensure that a vet is not overlooked in the online application process, we suggest the following type of relationship, which gives the veteran um, slight advantage over the non-veterans when applying for particular jobs. And we think that the veteran deserves a slight advantage when, when, when looking for a job because they, they sacrificed for our country. And I'll, I'll explain what I mean by a slight advantage. Um, so once a vet applies online, he or she will advise me of their application and the job number. Then I have arranged with the larger employers for the following process. I will then advise my human resource contact at the potential employer, the one to, to whom the application has been given. I will advise my HR contact at that employer that the vet has applied online. I'll, tell, I'll, I'll give the um, HR person the vet's name and the job number for which he has employed. The HR person then pulls the vet's application from the list of, of uh, uh, from their database and screens the vet's background first to determine if that vet passes the initial screening, if his resume shows that he has a chance to uh, secure the job. And then they'll determine uh, whether or not that vet warrants an interview. So the vet gets put to the top of the line of the people who have applied online. But the vet's resume has to demonstrate that that vet at least could potentially fill those job requirements. And then the decision is taken whether or not that vet can get an interview. Because normally it turns out that, let's just say 50 applicants apply for a job. The employer might only uh, be, have the time to interview four. So what we're hoping is that the VET's application will be seen early on, and um, they may like the VET's resume and his, background, his or her background, and they'll say, all right, we'll, we'll take Mr. or Ms. VET, and we'll make her one of the four to receive a job interview. After that, uh, the VET is on their own. They have to compete, like anybody else, with the other applicants in order to secure the job. But we find that this gives the VETs um, somewhat of an advantage. They're definitely not passed over in the process, and hopefully their skill set um, will allow them at least to get an interview, and perhaps they'll be more competitive than the others in order to secure the job. So that pretty much um, allows us to ensure that a vet is not going to be passed over, perhaps like they were five years ago, because, because it's so competitive now to get jobs. There, there might be 50 applicants for one job. Well, if you're one of 50 you're, uh, and you're a veteran, your application might get lost in the shuffle. But if somebody behind the curtain in HR is looking for that vet's application, you deserve to, to get an advantage and have your application pulled and seen first. And hopefully um, your skill set will demonstrate that you should be getting an interview and that will at least give you an opportunity 
to have the interview, and hopefully then, if the vet is given an interview, we then will uh, coach the vet in terms of the uh, interview process so that hopefully they'll make a good um, um, impression uh, when they have the interview. Absolutely. That's a very enlightening for people that I think don't realize, and, and myself included, don't realize that that whole process takes place um, in order to uh, ensure that a veteran is not, quote unquote, passed over for a position. It's taken sure. a while for us to, um, to work with the major employers. However, we find that this suggestion works when we're able to speak to senior management of these major corporations. Because if senior management buys into this concept, then they will, they will, uh, they will talk to the rank and file, particularly the people in the HR division, and say, listen, we want to hire veterans. I want to ensure that the vets get every opportunity to shine. And so, and so this is the type of process that I want to put in place in order for vets to be vetted before the others so that we might give them an, an advantage because we want to hire more vets. So if the word comes top down, as you know, Frank, then everybody will buy into it. If it's only generated at the grassroots level, well, some people may and some people may not. But if it comes from the chairman, and he wants to know in six months how many vets have we hired, people are going to get the message. Exactly. They're going to be like, oh, this is a priority uh, exactly. versus you know, someone that's sitting in an HR office that's fielding a, a zillion resumes, and they're going to be like, okay. Uh, so that definitely, <laughs> definitely becomes a, a change in the mindset. So getting that senior management buy-in uh, would be critical, I would think, in, especially in a larger corporation, as you discussed before, with a lot more uh, processes in place and uh, red tape, if you will, uh, to move on those positions. Um, so thank you for that answer, for that that insight and that line of sight, I think, for the audience to understand that uh, all this is going on in the background. Uh, all of this is going on to support uh, the veteran to try and, and get him some gainful employment to help that transition. Uh, how can the gap in job preparedness skills with the military veteran population be addressed? Job preparedness is at the center of my personal remit uh, with all the veterans with whom I work. Uh, coming up the corporate ladder uh, at International Flavors and Fragrances over 35 years, I did uh, a fair amount of, of hiring, and um, I've seen good and bad resumes um, and I've seen good and bad interview skills. Uh, and uh, so I have a reasonably good view of uh, what it takes to, to get a job. I'm by no means perfect, but um, I work with a team of about nine Veterans Administration and Department of Labor professionals, so I'm one of a team of ten. And I'm constantly reviewing um, the activity, the internal activity that we have um, Again, first, training the vet, and secondly, scouring the employer's landscape in order to find um, available job opportunities for the vets, and then marry the vet's skill set 
to those job opportunities. So all the branches of the military have what is formally called transition training, and that is to facilitate veterans' transition back into civilian life. Given my experience with veterans having difficulty with finding a job, I would suggest a couple of improvements to the process. First of all, I think there should be a more detailed resume writing course or preparation because the vets that we see, and let's remember again, these are just veterans who are having difficulty finding work. There may be vets, I'm sure there are many more vets who, 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 who get it, who understand when they're or given this course in the military, they get the basics of, of a job um, resume preparation, and they're on their own. They don't need help from me. But the people I work with have no experience whatsoever, nor did their family structure have any experience. So they can't talk to their parents or Uncle Joe at home and say, hey, can you help me out with a resume? How do I write this? So they're given... Um, resume preparation skills in the military, but I don't think they're taught those minute, critical nuances of a resume that will turn off uh, an HR person immediately if they're absent from a resume. And these are things uh, like um, to be concise when you're writing your resume, to be cohesive, and to have complete spelling, have your resume be complete spelling error-free. It has to be squeaky clean. And the sentence structure has to be perfect. Um, or you're going to get bounced out right in the application process. Forget about getting a, an interview. What I do, Frank, is I interview the vet. I'll ask, do you have a resume? Some, some do have a resume. Some don't even have a resume. If they have a resume, I'll say, send it to me, and then I critique it. And 100 times out of 100, will that resume, resume have to be corrected? So I will make, it might be three or four iterations, and I'll send it back to the vet. I'll ask him what he or she feels about it. We'll go back and forth. Sometimes this process takes over a month, maybe four to six weeks. When I think we're close to perfect, what I will then do is take that last draft over to the Monmouth County uh, Library on Route 35 here in, in New Jersey, and there is someone in the library who, who uh, types resumes for free. What a wonderful resource for me. I give it to that person within a day. I have uh, a, a prepared resume with the exact template that I've offered back on my computer. Uh, we then would need maybe one iteration, and that resume is then ready to go to press. So that's step number one. At least we have a co coherent uh, resume that's ready to go to the, the employer. Then the, uh, the job hunt begins, and that's when I work with um, all my teammates to discuss this veteran's resume, his skills, his or her skill set, his background. Sometimes I'll even bring in the vet to meet three or four of my associates so that they've got a much better feeling for what this vet is all about. And let me say that 
I can only work for three vets at one time because I'm a part-time volunteer and I have to be able to spend as much time as possible um, working with each individual veteran in order to ensure that I give each of these three as much time as I possibly can to help them to finish the resume and the job search because they have no idea how to do this. So that's how I work. That's how I prepare the resume. That's how I proceed with the vet internally, with internal screening, and then hopefully get that resume in front of an employer who has a job opening that may very well need those skills in order to fulfill those job requirements. And that's pretty much the way that um, procedure works. It's very critical to have a well-written resume. We discussed that in the unemployment show with Mark Fechner and talking about how difficult it is to just even, quote, unquote, get a foot in the door. The, the resume is you know, your first entree, your representation of yourself. And it's, it's such, a, such a shame, excuse me, that uh, that kind of goes by the wayside and people don't know how to construct a resume that could disqualify that person right off the bat. Uh, I've helped people put together resumes in similar situations where uh, they didn't really have the background or the understanding or, or the knowledge and their family couldn't help them. And I would help them get prepared for certain opportunities that they were approaching in their life and in their uh, career to help them to put forward uh, the best version of themselves and really show what they have done. Um, how would you explain your role? I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. Let, let me let me uh, expound upon that a, a bit more because there's an important point here. Again, mm -hmm. one of the resources at my disposal and at the vet's disposal is a team at the Workforce Development Group here in Monmouth County, and one of the specialists there, among other training courses, um, teaches veterans how to create the proper up-to-date template, the basic template for a resume. And then I take that basic uh, template that the vet has learned from the workforce development group and I flesh it out with all the proper buzzwords that are needed to make it through that first vetting process with the HR person at the employer. Because as we've learned over the past five to 10 years, for each job application, there are certain buzzwords that have to be incorporated into um, a resume for a particular job uh, application. And if a certain amount of those buzzwords are not in that resume, the resume is immediately rejected. And it's not even seen by a live human being. These are all scanned by computer because sometimes there'll be over 100 resumes for one job. Well, you can't have an HR person sitting there reading all of these so it's automated now. So that resume has to be spot on in many different ways in order to make it through the first application process. And hopefully we try to work with the vet in order to prepare it properly. A lot of the veterans really, if I may say, have no idea how sensitive this document is. So it's really the, of paramount importance to finalize that early on in the job search process. 
That's a very, very critically important point because that has changed a lot from back in the in the old days or back in the day when you handed a resume to someone and it was a person-to-person thing and it was a piece of paper versus today, you know, it's sent through a computer and scanned. Uh, that's a whole different ball of wax, as I would say, uh, in what needs to be in the document and the keywords that need to be there in order to make it through that screening process. Uh, how would you explain your role working with local veterans and how your role helps the veteran, the company, and everyone involved? Well, this is one, an easy one to answer because it's what I live day in and day out. And um, I really enjoy this um, endeavor uh, because it is uh, highly rewarding but can be very frustrating at times because sometimes it takes us a month to get a vet hired. Sometimes it takes us 12 months to get a vet hired. And sometimes we can't even get a vet hired. And unfortunately, um, that veteran will just drift off into uh, the workplace somehow. But there have been times when I haven't been able to place a vet, and that's very, very disappointing. I'm pleased to say that we probably place, I would say, between 80 to 90 percent of the vets who come to see us, um, and it requires the three P's, as we call them, patience and perseverance, which ultimately leads to us, leads for us to placing the individual. So uh, I'm basically a recruiter and a life coach for veterans. I'm, I'm a hands-on advisor um, to no more than three vets at a time because, as I said, I can't handle more than three veterans at a time. What happens, Frank, is um, that I meet with the veterans so often is that at times they will become very dependent on me for the next step. And I have to be available within, I would say, one day of the phone call um, in order to get back to the vet for them to know that um, I'm really, I really care, I'm on top of this, and this is very important to me. So if I have more than three veterans at one time, it's very difficult for me to give the veterans uh, that type of attention. Now, having said that, um, I hired another volunteer, so we now have two volunteers uh, working with vets doing the same thing that I do, myself and another gentleman who, who is also a uh, retiree from IFF. So we've, in fact, if you will, doubled our workforce. So now we'll be working with six veterans rather than three, and hopefully we can place six within a couple of months rather than three. So. I'm very pleased that we've brought on yet another person. So, um, again, one of my primary um, responsibilities is reconstructing uh, the resume in order to ensure that that document is perfect. After that, I then speak with the teams in the workforce development group, and they are a wonderful resource for us because they have connections with all with all of the major employers in the county. And they are, um, they are advised immediately if any of the major employers have an opening. So they know right away if there are job, new job openings in the county. I am on their emailing list. And so every day I will get an update of the new jobs that have become available that day in the county. So I will quickly screen these to see, are any of these potential employers for one of the three vets with whom I'm working? 
Um, what I'll do is I will forward that information to um, the new gentleman I've just brought on as yet another volunteer, so he'll have an opportunity to look at these new jobs on a daily basis. We probably see 30 to 40 new jobs each week. And um, I would say at least two or three of these look like they may be close possibilities for the six vets with whom we're working. So that is in itself a major step for us to be aware of the new jobs that are available each day, each week, and each month, and then try to marry up um, our veterans, their skill sets, with the job requirements of uh, those employers. Now, again, um, when the vet applies online, um, we quickly uh, attempt to get that application in front of the HR person so that the vet can get um, uh, an interview. And finally, um, if the vet gets an interview, we, um, we will screen the vet in terms of the, um, the job interview process. And if the vet is fortunate enough to get the job, now this is key to what we say to all of our vets who are hired. We have a discussion with the vet before their first day, and we say to them, you have got to be an exemplary employee because we want more vets to be hired by this employer. And only if you set a good example will this employer want to hire more veterans. And I can assure you that veterans are so grateful for us to have helped them get a job that I haven't in the five years that I've been a part of this, been called by one of the employers and said, listen, we've had to let one of your vets go because they weren't up to snuff. So that's a critically important part of the process, and I'm proud to say that our veterans do live up to their reputation. That is a very important uh, aspect of it as well. I remember back when I was going through high school at Redman Catholic, uh, the uh, pastor there would say that, you know, he was the director of the school as well. And he would say that you're our best public relations. The, our students, our alumni, you going now out to college or out into the uh, world of work, you're our best public relations. So the way you show up, such as what you're saying to these veterans, the way you show up is going to help get other veterans jobs. And we expect you to show up in a very uh, positive and, you know, very profound way and, and, and impact things in a very positive nature. Uh, we always circle back to the role of coaching on the show as this is Life Coach Radio Network. So at this point of the show, we're a couple minutes ahead of the top of the hour. And then at the top of the hour, we'll do a last segment of our show. Uh, we always talk about the role of coaching. What is the role of coaching in helping veterans to reacclimate to the workforce? I think we're both going to take part of this one, but I'll, I'll kick it to you first. What, what's the role of coaching in helping them to do that? Well, I, I take a personal interest in this because, as I mentioned to you, I was in the enlisted corps when I was in the Marines. And most of the people with whom I work are from the enlisted ranks in the military. Um, and, again, um, most of these people come from a, a, a tough life. Not all of them, but the ones I deal with. And so 
um, I do my best to try to make um, the next step for them for finding a job to be um, less difficult than they would have if they did it on their own. Because um, if I've never been unemployed, but there have been several times during my career where I thought, hey, wait a minute, uh, I wonder if my job's a little shaky here. And that's a terrible feeling to have. And I remember I was very shaken during uh, those time periods. And I've dealt with people who have been out of work, and I know how crushing this can be to their confidence. So um, uh, I want to help these veterans, number one, because they've sacrificed. Uh, number two, because I'm a veteran and I um, uh, feel for their plight. And number three, because I want them to be hired sooner rather than later so that they can gain the self of confidence to, vo to move on with their life. That's critically important to uh, the, the process as well so that they can move on and, and feel like they're moving forward. That forward motion is uh, probably so important in a population such as those who have, have served in our military and, and served our country. Uh, I, if I was personally working with a veteran, which I haven't um, in my course of doing that in an official life coaching capacity, though in my full-time work I've had, two veterans that I've worked with at different points uh, that I've been, uh, that have been working with me uh, in a team type of environment um, in sales. And I've always found that they uh, were willing to take direction very well. And they were willing to go kind of that extra mile uh, for you and uh, were really responsive uh, to direction, which is all very good are all very good skills and, values to have. I would talk to them about connecting the values that they have within themselves to their skill sets. We would do a values assessment, connecting them to a life purpose, a broader life purpose, and then finding them, you know, helping them to find work that was suitable, transition into that career to find some level of comfort in the civilian world. Um, so that's how I would go about it. I think if, if I was tasked with, with doing so, at any one point. We're now at the, uh, we're at 8.02 here on the East. We are live here on January the 16th in the year 2019. This is Undivided episode 38. Thank you all very much for listening. And we've come to the end of the last segment of our show, the common ground segment. So in this segment, we always look to find common ground and uh, first steps, those first concrete steps to move forward. So it, with that in mind and all that we've discussed tonight on this very important topic, how can we find common ground to change or shift perceptions or misconceptions about veterans in the workforce and help veterans get the skills they need to compete in a rapidly changing climate for jobs? Well, over the past decade, we've seen a resurgence of the quote-unquote respect for veterans um, all across the United States. But when we drill down to the individual vet who's struggling to find a job, we find someone who is isolated and alone. And the longer they are out of the workforce, the more isolated they feel. They've been out of work um, and, and they're losing a great amount of confidence, confidence with each day. When the vet first comes to me, 
we must engage with that vet on a very personal level and let them, let them know above everything else that our team really cares about that vet and we are going to do our very best to train them so that they can um, achieve job status, be job ready, and have a fulfilling uh, line of employment. I find that this is where, this is when I come into the picture, again, as a coach, and I create a very friendly counseling role with the vet and prepare and lead him or her into the job process and act as an intermediary between the vet and all of the VA and Department of Labor Services that we have in the county and the employers in the county. Sometimes the job search takes a month, sometimes a year. But during that time, our team gets together regularly so that we can prepare uh, the vet for job opportunities and so that the vet, we hope, is thoroughly prepared with the skills that we've taught him and the military has, ta has taught him in order for them to be uh, as competitive as possible in the job search process. I would say that in my own experience, too, I would, I would try and come up with a plan uh, for that person and help them plan that out so that they have that charted in front of them. What's our goal? How are we going to get there and break it down into small steps? So thank you for that answer. That's, uh, uh, those points are all very important to, uh, to crystallize our discussion um, here tonight. Uh, and I want to thank you, Art, for coming on this evening of one for your service to our country. I know we had mentioned that earlier. I, I do really sincerely mean that uh, for your service to us and for serving the community in this role in, in a volunteer capacity. Uh, where, so thank you so much for joining the program tonight. Where can uh, they contact the veteran service offices? There are a phone number, a website that you'd like to give out for people in the local area to, to contact them. They can just call the Office for Aging Disabilities and Veteran Services in Freehold, New Jersey. That's the Excellent. Office of Aging Excellent. Disabilities and Veteran Services in Freehold, New Jersey. It's on Kozlowski Road in Freehold, New Jersey. Thank you so much for coming on, for sharing this insight on what is such a very important issue and one that's really close to my heart uh, on a personal level. And if we can reach people and help veterans get connected to resources that they need, not only in, in Monmouth County and our county, but, you know, throughout New Jersey and throughout the United States and people listen to this show throughout the country, which is such a blessing and, and in other parts of the world as well, uh, that would be just such a wonderful thing uh, for those who have given so much to us. So that, thank you so much for your time and preparation and for being available to us this evening. Thank you, Frank, for allowing me to speak to um, the uh, veterans' employment issues, uh, an issue that's very near and dear to my heart. Thank you very much, and good night. Thank you, sir. And for all those who are looking to get involved, maybe you're a veteran like uh, Art that now is looking to do something in, in their retirement and is looking to you know, volunteer his or her time uh, to helping out, I would say contact your local county see if there is a role uh, for that in your county. And if there isn't, maybe consider, you know, what are the steps to starting one? I, I always have a call to action on this program. 
And tonight that would be the call to action because these men and women that have served in, in the military have given so much. They've put their lives literally on the line so that we, we can live in peace and freedom and security. And some of them have given the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate measure of sacrifice for our country. And there are men and women that served with those people that have dedicated their lives to service and to serving people. And I think they deserve an opportunity to make our society better. And that's how I think we will live truly undivided. So I thank you all for listening here tonight. Uh, some promotions and things I have to do before we sign off here for the evening. Again, Replenish Me, Cordelia Forest Show, Wednesday, January the 23rd, 7 p.m. Eastern, over on the Life Coach Radio Network. Free the Hamster, Harry Pritchett Show, Thursday, January 24th, 7 p.m. Eastern, over on the Life Coach Radio Network. Erica Wiederlight, Mondays, twice a month, live at 11.30 a.m. on the Life Coach chat channel. And a segue to my next show is my final promotion, Holy Shift. That's Holy Shift, like a shift in a car, an energy shift. Barb Heenan and Leslie Pichotti. That's Holy Shift is the name of the series. Wednesday, February the 6th is their next episode, live at 8 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. here in the East. It's a morning show on the Life Coach Radio Network. And they are on the first and third Wednesdays of the month of the morning, I am on the first and third Wednesday of every month in the evening. So my next show, we have a three-week break. Sometimes the calendar is giving to me in that way. My next show, February the 6th, live at 7 p.m. And the aforementioned Cordelia Gaffar, my colleague here from Life Coach Radio Network, will join me about the divide centered around Islam. So it should be a really, really interesting program and one that I've been looking to do for a long time. So I thank you to all the listeners for listening to this program here this evening. I thank Art for his time and dedication. I thank all the veterans who we dedicated this show to tonight for their service to this country. If you have any feedback on this program, undivided, S-H-O-W, that's undividedshow at gmail.com. Send me an email or send me a direct message on Twitter, at F Maduri, that's F-M-A-D-U-R-I. My book is available on Amazon. Reflections of the Passion, A Modern Guide to the Stations of the Cross is available there. And I would like to thank everyone from listening near and far and for their time in listening to this show this evening. Please help a veteran. Please help those in your community. And please help your company, if you work in a place, become more veteran hiring friendly. That might be a project for you in this new year of 2019. So until I see you guys again, that will be in three weeks. I want to thank Russ Terry and Danica Treble and all my fellow co-hosts here at the Life Coach Radio Network. And for all of them, we thank you, the listeners, for listening. And until I see you again on February 6th, as always, be blessed and be well. <laughs>